welcome to episode 118 of the Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. Wait, who, my name is Shane. Who are you? I'm Shane. What are you doing? I'm Shane here in Denver. What? <laughs> Shane here in Denver. Okay. The one and only Shane Beeps, and with me on the line from Chicago, Illinois, is the one and only Godfather, Dave Harbarger. I feel strange. <laughs> There's a disturbance. This we have never done an episode with just Dave and me. I don't know how we pulled that off. The weirdest part about that is that people may know that Shane and I have known each other for thirty-five-ish years. Sounds right. Yeah, and uh, we're from the same hometown, and we're the people that knew each other when this whole podcast thing started. And yet somehow we realized today we have never done a show with the two of us. So we asked Stan to just take a hike for the day. Yeah, Stan is under the weather. Yeah. He's not feeling too hot. So get better soon, Stan. But you're going to get two weeks in a row of just just two of us. I'm not going to sing the song this time. Uh, you've never sung it for me, though. <laughs> Dave, it's just the two of us. We yeah. got so many cards to talk about. So many cards this week. This week's episode. Yeah, wait. It has a very special theme that I wanted to ask you about. Okay. My theme for this episode... We're going to play a little version of one of my favorite games from a recent podcast that I've been very into called Blank Check. We're going to play a version of the box office game. (laughs) Blank Check with Shane and David. Exactly. Okay. So my theme for this episode is inspired by the sixth highest grossing film of 1986. Do you know what that is off the top of your head? So the theme for this episode, six high, some kind of like school, some kind of school based thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it features a cameo from Kurt Vonnegut. Oh man, that throws me for a loop. It's 86. It's not Tom Hanks and big. You just have to tell me, man. The climactic scene at the end of the end of the movie involves a diving competition with the triple Lindy. <gasps> what? Like, like into, into a pool? Yeah. So it's got diving and the movie is called back to school. Shane. Oh, okay. With Rodney so Dangerfield. So, so <laughs> God, Rodney Dangerfield. I feel like Rodney Dangerfield, we're eating into precious seconds of the podcast, I know. But Ron, Rodney Dangerfield is definitely one of those movie stars that I think is like, I'm just a little bit too young for. Like, I definitely, I guess you can appreciate like his particular style of humor. But I think it was for people who are like, what, in their like late 40s now, you think? Yeah, well, I mean... I guess since I remember seeing that movie very clearly, I must be in my late forties and you must be in your early forties. Yeah. One year difference. Only one year different. Exactly. But yes, the theme of this week is back to school. And just like an old man going back to university, Ronnie Dangerfield in the plot of that movie, Shane and I are old <laughs> men going back to wizard college. Yeah. I mean, we, my wizard college was a 1995 or so. And then re- and then I and then I dropped out mm-hmm. and then came back uh, to finish up my GRE in 2014 with cons and so it's good to it's good to revisit those old primers go back to class learn a few things yeah I mean my my wizard college was a lot like the plot of the f- seasons one through four of the magicians which is a show that Shane loves very much oh man all right on on this week's episode is Dave is Dave teed up so nicely we're gonna briefly look at the historic and standard split Kaldheim Championship. Get a last look at the tournament-level historic metagame. Then we're going to head into the good stuff. Spoilers. Strixhaven spoilers are arriving. At a steady clip. We're going to go through the first barrage of the see what piques our interest in modern, pioneer, and historic. 
And uh, speaking of historic, there's a few cards from Strixhaven that we think are going to have some impact. We're going to save those for the end of the episode. First, some housekeeping. We've got new patrons of the Dive Down Nation. Citizens, welcome. We have Riker and Bert W. Bert W., I know you're. I know you're coming back again. I appreciate you. You, you rejoining. You're rekindling your citizenship. We stamped that visa. Let you back in. No new Bert reviews. Just wants those shout outs on the podcast over <laughs> yeah, and over Bert, again. Bert's just like, look, I just keep coming back. Yeah. Um, no new reviews this week. If you have something good to say, constructive to say, head on over to Apple Podcasts or whatever and give us some feedback. We appreciate it. Yeah, and if you would like to join our patron with one of the most fun. Slack channels and all of Magic, and I don't even know how many Slack channels there are out there of Magic Slack servers. Uh, you can check us out at patreon.com slash the dive down, where one dollar $1 per episode will get you access to our Slack community of Merry Bandits. Yeah, awesome folks. I was just thinking about this like yesterday, I think, about just I, I was on a little uh, remote staycation. Rented like a little Airbnb, got some takeout food, stuff like that with my wife. And every time I would kind of recheck my phone, I'd just be like, Man, there's people, people said so much. There's so much happening on the Slack server. I'm like, man, we have a lot. We have a lot of regulars. We have a lot of people who pop in from time to time. I love every new addition uh, to the community. So yeah, if you've got a little bit of cash to spare, want to meet your fellow citizens in the nation, head on over to patreon.com slash the dive down we also of course are supported by mana traders go to mana traders.com use sign up code the dive down all one word get 15 percent off your first three months of magic online card rental mana traders rules you know about it probably but yeah if you're still thinking about signing up use the dive down save some cash also untapped.thedivedown.com you can download the untapped arena assistant you know, tracks all your games. Like I said, I tracked my games today. I streamed for about two hours on this day, you know, the dive down underscore Shane on Twitch. I don't like tracking my stuff because then I see that I'm like five and five after spending two hours and I get anywhere on the ladder. But yeah, it's uh, it gives us a little kickback. Thanks for going there and checking it out. You know, it's a good way to not track your stuff and not feel bad about it. Mobile play on your iPad. <laughs> yeah. Which is what I've been doing a lot the last week, losing and not caring. <laughs> if you don't know it feels good exactly in my mind i'm still at 78 percent win rate that i was back in february or whatever that was so yeah man, if you don't look everything's fine all right i promised a quick breakdown and let's deliver that hopefully yeah there was a yeah. pro tour this weekend yeah a, a, a set championship yeah the Caldine championship in quotes from the Watsy thing to remind you how this works. From qualifier weekends and other online tournaments to the battles of Kaldheim League, week, League weekends, it all comes down to this. The Kaldheim split concludes with $250,000 in prizes as the best players across MTG Arena and Magic Online battle to become the next Magic Champion at the Kaldheim Championship. So, split standard and historic Swiss standard in the top eights. If you liked Salty Ultimatum, that was a top eight for you. Was there a lot? I think there was like four or five. Whoa. Rogues did win. I oh, believe. wow. Okay. It was like Ar- Arn, Arna, Arnie, Hauschenberg. I'm sorry for butchering your name. I don't have it in front of me. But 
He seemed like the interviews with him, he seemed like a, a, a quality young gentleman. It's good to have a champion like him, I think. So more props to him for winning. He also played Orzov Auras in Historic. I know that. So what I really wanted to do, it's kind of the end of Standard and Historic. We don't really want to focus too much on it, especially because we have so many cards to talk about. But what I do want to talk about quickly is kind of the meta and then a few interesting decks that came out of that. So the meta was kind of mostly what we would have expected, I think. Like there was Jun Food at 26 and a half. Orzov Aura is probably a little bit of a surprise at 14.7. Then we kind of had, you know, Blue White Control at eight and a half, Gruel at five, Jun Company at five. Goblins, Bant Control, Salta Ultimatum, and this Obzon quote unquote mid-range deck, mm-hmm. all at 3.8%. Yeah. We'll talk about I, that in a second. I mean, the biggest surprise to me, like you said, was Orzov Auras at 14% of the metagame, which is a deck that we've talked about a bunch of times on here, talking yeah. about how it always has favorable stats and untapped, but nobody ever seems to get it beyond about 3% of the metagame on untapped. Yeah, and all of a sudden, people just were like, it's time, it's time to play. Time yeah. to play some Orzov Auras. Those know what's up with it. Man, when I, every, I, I kind of, I didn't watch much of the stream. I kind of flipped through day two and caught a few match, uh, historic matches here and there. Every time I saw someone playing auras, it was just the same busted aura stuff that you expect. We're just like, hey, I'm I'm suiting up my 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 creature who was like a three five the previous turn is now a fourteen seventeen flyer and you're dead. It's just like bonkers. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me still the the snowball potential of that deck is a little bit is, is still lower to me than the blue white version because there's sure. so many auras that pump in the blue white version where you really have to get um, all the glitters to get your your creature yeah, yeah, super yeah. huge in the black white one. But it, black does have all those protection spells, so I'm pretty sure that's the way to go. Yeah, and the last two decks, elves at two point eight and cycling, boros cycling at 2.4 uh, we'll talk about that as well 20 percent other our best performing decks this obzon again i'm calling it control they call the mid-range at 63.4 percent we'll talk about one reason for that in a second uh, okay. orzov auras at 60 so yeah i mean not only was it very well represented it also had a typical orzov auras win rate of high 50s to low 60s yep. killing it the cycling deck 59 percent and again, there's probably a good reason for that. Bant Control at 59 as well. And Jun Company at 55. So Bant Control, Obzon, and even the Cycling Deck all were playing. What card do you think, Dave? It's Control. green and white. Green and white. Is it? Is it Yasharn? Yasharn. So you don't see Jun Food here in this above 50% win rate area. They were heavily metagamed out. They finished at under 50% win rate on the day, even at such a high percentage of being in the field. So people were prepared for Jund and brought decks that were shored up against Jund food. And one of those ones I wanted to talk about really quickly was this Obzon midrange deck. Mm -hmm. Again, it sure looks like control to me. It's had a 63.4% win rate, as I said, brought by eight players. These eight players, LSV. Pretty good. LSV, Shahar Shanhar, Matt Sperling, Gabe Nassif, Kai Buda, Reed Duke, Huey Jensen, Yol Larson. You ever hear of these guys? I've heard of all of them. 
<laughs> I have all yeah. of their names tattooed down my arm in a, in a list. And then you scratch them off if you ever beat them? Yeah, exactly. This deck destroyed the aggro strategies, beat up on the sacrifice engine. It did seem to lose pretty hard to other control strategies, but if you're taking out aggro and sack, you're going to have a pretty good day. So what was in this deck? Because Ob- yeah. this is not something we've seen, really. We're no, used to the four-color ones that yeah. used to have Sultai. Uh, there was a little bit of that around, I think, as well. But what was what was going on here? So it's a Yorian-based 80-card deck, three Yorian main, and one is the companion. I really wanted four, it. Yeah. Four Yasharn, of course. Provide that mana. Stop the sacrifice engines. And paying life, which was surprisingly important. Yeah. Like, I, I, I was playing today on stream. I had a red, I had two red sources in my mind, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, I attacked into Yasharn with an Embercleave in my hand. And then I was like, what, 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 uh, why couldn't I cast Embercleave? Oh, because Ramonet Ruins pays, pays life. life. Yeah. Yep. I, I did a similar thing against this deck where I was playing Orza, where I was playing uh, Mardu Shadow. And I had a Danto Vanguard out. And I was like, I'm oh. going to make my shadow gigantic. And then it just wouldn't click. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> well, oh, what? Wait. Yeah. So Yasharn's very good at various things. Specifically, of course, the sacrifice, hate. Four Wall of Blossoms. Uh, a psych- you know, it's, a, it's a cycling card that helps against aggro. You know what I mean? It's it's a two mana 04. It's going to block a lot of small creatures on curve. Yeah. Four Night of Autumn, just to uh, be super was, flexible. Wait. Wall Blossoms, the original wall of drawing cards. I just want to make sure everybody understands that. It wasn't Wall of Omens. Wall Blossoms. I mean, it's green. Your favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, Four Night of Autumn, as I said, super flexible. You, know, you can block aggressive threats. You can gain life if you're behind. You can blow up a key artifact or enchantment if such a thing is on the board. A lot of enchantment-based removal, as you're going to expect in a Yorian deck. Extinction Event as like Sweeper. Mazebind Tome as additional filtering and life gain. Sideboard has more tools against aggressive strategies and control strategies. You got your like your Legion End, your Authority of the Councils. You got your Shifting Ceratops. Your, you know it's uncounterable, and I think Pro Blue. It it just looks like it has all these tools that you need to survive against the field, and shoring up that previously sort of bad control matchup against the Jun strategies as well. So Shane, thanks for the run through of Obs on here. You're one of one of your favorite color combinations from way back in the day. Yeah, R.I.P. Yeah, lingering souls. Uh, are you going to build this deck? Well, no, because I'm terrible with decks like this. I think that a good a good reason that this is 63.4 percent is eight of the best players possibly ever. I mean, I don't know some of. I mean, some of them. You know, these are all like pro tour pro tour winners, top eight finishers. These are good players, and also they had a good meta game. You know, if they they were heavily tuned against aggro decks and sack, which also is going to make this good on the ladder. But yes. this isn't a deck that I want to play on the ladder and that I could play to its best ability by myself. I'm sure I could learn it. I'm sure I could have a perfectly good win rate with it. But it's just like not my thing because I don't play or I don't like long games on arena. I kind of just like I like that quantity of game and maybe that's stupid. But this isn't the kind of thing that like if I win with it, I'm going to feel I'm going to feel really awesome. Like I'd much rather be like, yeah, I got that Embercleave got me there. Mm-hmm. How about you? No, 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 indeed. How afraid of Yasharn are you in general right now? Are you feeling like you you need to play decks to be able to answer the card? Is it well, thing you need a sideboard for? Because not every not every deck can deal with a four four really yeah. easily. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not too concerned about it as as I'm still maining Gruel, honestly. And I do think that you can outclass it with either uh, like a First Striker or an Ember Cleaver or like even like a 4-4 Gruel Spellbreaker type thing. It's not anything you want to see. I mean, they're a little bit behind on curve with just a 4-4. But I think against certain strategies, it does it does take names and it does a really good job at, at doing that. So what I, what I think about this deck, though, too, is that we have a very changing metagame coming up, mm-hmm. I think. So it's like, I don't think I tell people to like mirror this deck, go copy this deck, you know, and, and, and waste some wilds on it or spend some wilds on it at least because we have a lot of changes coming up. As Spoilers. Yeah. I think everyone knows what we're talking about. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it was a smart deck brought by good players. They time they did the metagame, they timed the metagame really well, and I think they were they paid off. Again, I mentioned also Boro Cycling. This was brought by five Hariyu players, Hariruya players, like Tony Ramis Pascal, Javier Dominguez, Luis Salvato. They hey, those are it. good players too. Yeah. 59.3% win rate. Javier D also made top eight. They had a light splash into green. I mentioned that. You know, I said it was Boros, but they also had Yusharn. They used some of the pathways to get into green for that sideboard Yusharn, ostensibly for fighting the Jun meta that they probably expected. Some additions to this main deck, Sweltering Suns, a couple of those can be cycled away or clear out a threatening board from these go-wide decks that might have shown up. Sideboard's really cool, like Reptilian Reflection which is a three mana enchantment that when you cycle a card can become a five, four creature with haste, of course, when a card is cycled. Weird. So that'd probably be pretty good against control strategies. I think yeah, um, it's like a, a real band. form thing. Yeah. Uh, five, four is legit. You know what I mean? Like that's pretty good. That's big. The banner sarcophagus allows for non land cards with cycling to be cast from the graveyard for some long game value. Uh, they even brought back fry to deal with white and blue creatures and planeswalkers. Right? So, I think that was a cool deck. I, I think that we might have more reason to talk about cycling in the near future. Again, we'll get to that later on in the episode. But yeah, that, that's that's the metagame as Historic comes to a new set and some new auxiliary cards. So don't want to spend any more time on the breakdown. But yeah, wait, uh, watch the space, and I'm sure we'll have more to talk about in all of our formats coming up. But yeah, let's head on out of here. Head on into the, the dive down where we're going to talk about Strixhaven spoilers. So stay with us. All right. It's that time of year again. It's our favorite time of the year. Oh, my gosh. We're going back to school. It's spoiler season for Strixhaven. Strix, that's what it's called, Strixhaven, right? Strixhaven School of Majin. I, I don't <laughs> Wiz- know. Wizarding School for Wizards and Wizardesses. What, what is the subtitle of this, isn't it? Strixhaven, it's not Harry Potter. Right. It's also not <laughs> The Magicians, which is a show that Shane and Stan both love. Yeah, we love it. Yeah. Um, I read the first book, and then I tried to start the second, and I was like, where the heck is this going? No, yeah. Um, no, the, the show is better than the books. Anyway, so it's time. We're, we're getting spoiler cards again. It's always fun for us to go through a big dive of cards. You know, the first thing that we do whenever these sets come up, you know, we're going to have two weeks of spoilers for this, I'm sure. Next week, we'll do another episode, so you'll get to hear some of Stan's takes. But to lay the groundwork, since we just got them the last couple of days, 
you know, Shane and I want to go through the mechanics to start and talk about the relative potential for the different different mechanics that are in the set, see what we think about those and see what we're keeping an eye on for what could be powerful. So Shane, yeah. what's yeah. the first one? All right. Learn and lessons. So learn allows you to so the learn is the the mechanic keyword i don't really know it's it, it happens when you cast a spell typically mm-hmm. it can be like an etb effect or like a resolution effect so learn allows you to reveal a quote lesson card you own from outside the game and put it into your hand or you can discard a card to draw a card wait learn learn does that too i totally missed that part <laughs> of the rules <laughs> i think so i think they all do that that was that was in the flavor text or the, the mechanic text i read uh, uh interesting I mean, it's yeah, so nice it has, to know it, that they have, a they have moments, yeah, a fallback where you don't, where it still does something, even if you don't want to get the card. Yeah, they they have they have value just inherently in that they they they're not they're they're not looters; they are rummagers. Right. You discard a card, then draw a card. So the learn example would be like pop quiz, which is two and a blue for an instant. You draw a card. And then learn, and which then again pulls up a lesson from outside the game. A lesson example is something like Introduction to Annihilation, which is five generic mana. It's a sorcery. You can exile a target non-land permanent, and its a controller draws a card. Some lessons also appear to be kind of hybrid mana or just regular old mana, like Pest Summoning is one black-green, black-green hybrid mana. So that can be used in any deck that uses black or green mana. So... The real thing here, I think, Dave, is are there going to be lessons and also learn cards that are kind of cost effective and or flexible enough that you want to run these cards? Because I think the lessons even right now, after after a few days, seem pretty safe. Yeah, you know, I mean, the big thing here, of course, is what are you trading for the trigger? Like, how much does it cost to get a spell with a learn trigger on it? And what are you trading for the utility of having this lesson card in your sideboard as far as mana cost goes? And so the closer those things get to normal rate for a creature or a spell or whatever, the more powerful these cards are going to be. And so I think that that's the thing you really need to challenge yourself when you're reviewing these cards is... What premium am I playing for the flexibility, if any? Exactly. Yeah, because, I mean, you, you can just look at even pop quiz. Two and a blue for an instant, draw a card, and also essentially draw a second card that you have somewhere else in your in your sideboard, right? Mm-hmm. And so that could be pretty cool if there is a lesson that is worth running in a deck that would also play pop quiz. And so that kind of remains to be seen. Yeah. I mean, I think that that the fact that there's a fallback case here makes these cards a lot better than they were initially. I mean, like you said, essentially pop quiz becomes an instant speed divination, which is, yeah, it's not really constructed playable, but if you have a, something that you really need, that's good. If you have a, 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 a deck where you're just going to want to keep up mana to be able to, to draw two cards, that's good too. The one thing I will say is that I would not, I would not expect any of these lesson cards to be super specific in what they do. I think that they'll all be pretty 
general value cards because that's another dimension of this whole thing is that if there's some kind of weird combo that works with one of the lesson cards like a really specific use one then having learn with with that to be able to get one of your combo pieces makes that whole thing a lot more powerful so i would expect that most of these are going to be like bounce a creature uh make reanimated a creature tokens. make tokens like i think they're going to be pretty basic effects but we'll have to see that's another thing to look out for on the spoilers dave tell me about magecraft well last thing i was going to say about learn fine last thing is that it almost doesn't matter how good the lessons are unless there's a really good learn spell and i think that's that, that things that cost three is kind of a lot because you're probably going to want to in a lot of situations be able to get the lesson and play it on the same turn which i think that a lot of the mana values are making it hard to do that so there's a little bit of the companion thing going on here where you pay a down payment to get a card from your sideboard to be able to play it the next turn so the cheaper the enabler gets the cheaper the learn card gets that's another powerful thing to watch out for too that'll unlock a whole lot of things if there happens to be like a one mana spell that has learn on it for who knows what reason that's i would really really be keeping an eye out for that dave will you tell me about magecraft now yeah sure why did they do this why did they do this to me <laughs> why do they do why do they do this to me shame because they, they want you to have hope magecraft they took one of my favorite abilities and just said we're gonna make a whole set around it and that ability is <laughs> prowess Prowess was simple. Your creature gets bigger. But Magecraft is a whole other thing. Because what Magecraft says is, it's uh, a triggered ability that says whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, do X. And there's a whole bunch of different things that happen here. You know, it could be... a fairly weak effect, as Shane says. (laughs) Like giving eager first year plus one plus O, or making something like Prismaria Apprentice unblockable. Those are kind of normal things you would see with prowess still, but here, if you, if you cast two instants, you make it double unblockable. Yeah, exactly. That was always helpful with uh, Jeskai Rune Fist or whatever that card was <laughs> called in Limited. So it, it really is them building off of the prowess mechanic with one with with two big distinctions. Like one is it's instants or sorceries only. There's a whole bunch of cards right now that only trigger off of instants and sorceries and aren't non-creature spell anymore, which is what prowess was. The other thing is. They added in when you copy on here, which is another kind of surprising thing to see because it can, depending on how you're copying these effects, it can make the effects stack up pretty quickly. And of course, there's a whole thing going on in Legacy with a card called, what's the name of that card that everybody's into with Magecraft? It's called like Cloud of of Annoyance or something. It's a weird card that lets you copy itself over and over again. Cloud of Spec. Yeah, something. (laughs) Cloud of Rampant Speculation. Yeah, cloud of hashtag MTG finance. But it's it's worth keeping in mind, especially if you end up in a situation where you're copying spells for some reason. Yeah, good point. But yeah, Shane, um, what do you think about the yeah, power yeah. of a thing like this? I, I have a suspicion that Magecraft is going to be one of the best mechanics in a long time. And by best, I mean in terms of the the flexibility at what they can make Magecraft do so that it could give different kinds of payoffs to different kinds of decks. Whereas prowess is frequently seen in aggressive 
spell and creature based decks, Magecraft could do very different things, but have this a similar sort of engine, but have different payoffs. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I agree that there's a ton of potential here depending on how much they want to let people do. I mean, it's super on theme for the set, of course. You know, what do yeah. wizards and wizards in training do? They cast spells. And so we gotta have a spell casting spells matters theme there's already tons of cards that exist that are good whether they say prowess on them or not from history that have this effect and so making a whole set around it i think means there's a lot of potential for constructed playable cards in all formats here for example there's already a two mana value generic and a green two two that has the sprite dragon version of prowess basically it's called dragon's guard elite it doesn't have evasion but it's a 2-2 that gets a plus one, plus one counter on it every time you cast or copy an instant or sorcery. That's that's the kind of card that you could potentially put right into a prowessy shell if you wanted to for some reason. I mean, there are likely better cards in some formats, but it, worth keeping in mind. And I feel like if we're going to get a one drop that scales up with spells being cast again anytime soon, it's going to be in this set. Now, are they going to have it? I don't know. But we'll see. This is the this is the uh, the place where you might get your third set of Soulscar Mage Swift Sphere kind of things <laughs> if it's ever going to happen. Yeah, good point. All right, next mechanic is Ward. Uh, mm-hmm. Ward just reads Ward X. Uh, whenever this creature becomes a target of a spell or ability, an opponent controls counter it unless that player pays X. So an example is Waterfall Aerialist. It's three and a blue for a Jin Wizard flying three one with Ward two. So. This is kind of like a flexible hexproof, which I think is like really cool. Like hexproof is a very annoying mechanic. Making something like this, making a mechanic like this so that a creature or perhaps any permanent is something that can be sort of mostly hexproof early, but not hexproof later, is is a cool way to provide protection that sort of runs out with as the game goes on. Uh, yeah. And I think that that is, uh, I think that's neat. I haven't seen anything with Ward that I think is particularly dangerous yet, but there's a lot of cards left. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that's unfortunate about this mechanic is the Frost Titan effect, which is essentially what this is, or the Unsettled Mariner effect, leads to lots of misplays because yeah. you can still cast the card and have it be countered. So it's extremely punishing. If you miss that you don't have the mana to do it, or if you have weird timing things happen that prevent you from paying the mana in the right way. So I do think there's some feel-bads around the way that this actually works. But I'm glad that they gave this a name. It seems like a type of thing that they could use in an evergreen way, so I'm glad that, that they gave it a succinct way to put that text on a card. It's one of those things that they have to be careful with. I'm sure they're aware of that. I'm sure we're going to see some pretty safe ward cards i wouldn't be surprised if we see one or two that people are like it's a little cost a little too effective there uh, we'll have to see yeah here's what i'm seeing i'm seeing a one red for a one two with haste that has yeah. ward two and magecraft oh yeah think? perfect great i love it and of course we have uh, mdfc's the modal double face cards returning we have Creatures with spells in the back, double-sided creatures with different colors, double-sided planeswalkers, all sorts of stuff happening. This is the new normal. It's almost not worth mentioning, but this is the kind of stuff that we're seeing in Strixhaven as well. Yeah. Last thing. Last little thing I would mention here is that it's a set full of mages. That's the whole theme. There's probably there's going to be a lot of wizards in this set, so 
I'm really on the lookout for something that makes Wizards Lightning better in both Historic and Pioneer. Right Again, on. one drops. So. Yeah, Wizards Lightning is always one of those borderline cards, so let's make it happen. Yep. Okay, so we got Speaking through the mechanics. Of, yeah. What's your, and your, we got a couple of really powerful mechanics here. Yeah. We got a good number good. of cards to go through. I, th- I mean, as of t- we, I had it like six today. Today's Monday. We're recording on Monday this week, not Sunday. And yeah, I think there's a bunch of cool stuff added. We're gonna have to we're, we have to breeze through this stuff. Like, let's let's Shame. start. Let's, yeah, we don't have to breeze through anything. It's oh, just right. you and me. We oh, got man, we right. got an hour and a half left. <sighs> Feeling good. Feeling good. Right. We have time for you to sing. Just the two of us, at least two more times. <laughs> let's start with some. Want to start with some bad cards, Dave? I love bad cards. <laughs> the, rawr, the snarl lands we we finally got the do we have we to talk about for. these yeah we do these are trash I, I need to complain okay we we finally got our enemy paired reveal lands dave but as we've I've come been to realize so reveal, long for these i've been waiting reveal lands are bad yeah they're terrible where are the pain lands watsy where are our allied pain lands watsy we need them for pioneer we don't even have what well, we're, we're we're still two two land types inequal in pioneer and they keep giving us this kind of stuff they're not good they'll probably see marginal play in standard i don't think they're going to do anything in our formats yeah i mean it's if people have never played with these before they look so so much better than they are you think to yourself i've got pain land or i've got uh shock lands i've got some basics i've got they maybe triomes. cycling lands and triomes what happens is when you have all those other lands you don't have space to run these and then when you do have to run these you don't have the other cards to be able to actually reveal them and they're just the worst top decks ever yeah. so they're like the worst third land draw yeah just it's just like ugh. yeah and another huge problem is that they they play really badly with fast fast lands so if you if you have something like a spire bluff canal for example in a multicolor mana base where you want to like play it out and have it be untapped early you can't keep a hand that has a snarl land and a and a fast land in it because the snarl land is going to be terrible so it's like it really kind of works against so many different things by the typing it's funny to me how much worse these are than like glacial fortress like the check lands like these are the worst check lands ever not good let's not yeah. talk about them anymore yeah what do you what do you think about i mentioned the, the double-sided planeswalker mdfc we have we have rowan rowan and mill and <laughs> rowan mill. And, and rowan and mill will and rowan yep. double-sided planeswalker what are they doing red, here red on one side blue on the other all the way from eldraine and less powerful versions of themselves we have rowan and will kenrith yeah that sounds right that sounds good yeah okay i'll i'll read these i'll read this okay so it's a double-sided planeswalker so it's got an incredible amount of text on it of course the row inside is two generic and a red for a two loyalty planeswalker that says instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one generic less to cast Rowan has a plus one that deals one damage to each opponent. If you've drawn three or more cards this turn, she deals three damage to each opponent. She has a minus four that says you get an emblem with whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may pay two. If you do copy that spell, you may choose new targets for the copy. The will side is four generic and a blue for four loyalty planeswalker has the same cost reduction mechanic as Rowan. 
It has a plus one that turns a creature into an O2. It has a minus three that draws two cards, and it has a minus seven that says exile up to five target permanents. For each permanent exile this way, its controller creates a four-four blue and red elemental creature token. Okay. So, uh, man, I don't know about these. They, it's like I don't think they're they're not doing enough. This is like one of those things where it's like, oh, well, it's flexible. Mm-hmm. I guess it's really only flexible if you're running blue and red that's flexibility my friends you're running both of the best colors that's a good point i think these are really marginal i think i mean they 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 both are more they both are either more expensive or their powers are less than you really want out of them but yeah i mean it's an option the the cost reduction mechanic the the static is is not terrible like rowan doing that as a three drop it's not that bad and yeah. also, and the plus one's like potentially cool. Like if you are playing, in, if you're playing a deck that feeds into this mechanic of drawing three or more cards in a turn, which is not that easy. Yeah. I mean, you're playing opt. You might be doing other cantrippy type things. There might be a spell that's coming into uh, historic that lets you just draw three cards. Yeah. Why not? For cheap. That could be good. Uh, it's called harmonize. And <laughs> for, <laughs> for my row in harmonize deck. Yeah. <laughs> Teamer harmonize. Oh, nobody's ever playing the will side. Come That's on, a good point. it's just it's just uh, gruel. You know, I I don't know. I thought that this card is kind of interesting just because of the static, like you said. And it's planeswalkers can be weirdly resilient, but in a deck where you're casting a lot of spells, you're probably just happier with brawl or goblin electromancer if you want to do that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I I thought this was a cool card, but I have my doubts to it finding a lot of homes. Right on. Storm Kilned Artist. Okay, this is one of the first cards I think is actually really cool and potentially has some play. Storm Kilned Artist, three and a red for a dwarf shaman for, for all you shaman tribal decks out there. It gets plus one, plus zero for each artifact you control. Mm-hmm. But it has Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, create a treasure token. Treasure token. That's the Magecraft ability. Yeah. Trigger. Yeah. It's a cool one. I mean, it, it doesn't really synergize with what gives it a plus plus one plus zero. <laughs> That's what I think. Which is so weird. Kind of weird, for so sure. Weird. It's like that seems unnecessary in some way. Like the first line of text is like, are people going to play this in like their artifact deck? Not really. Right. I think they want to cast incident sorceries. I've just got my awesome awesome artifact deck that also has a bunch of ops but i mean it is nice that you get mana back out of this you get mana back at whatever color you want instead of something like birgi where you only get red mana back which is like i mean that's that's a powerful card that i think is powerful in its own way too but this one you can get whatever color you need to keep just keep cantripping yeah i mean it's 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 four mana value right i mean it's it it seems like this should be some kind of like storm kiln O's engine card, right? But like, you know, it's only instants and sorceries. Right. So like it this artifact, yeah, artifact thing just doesn't work. And like, you know, you look at, like you mentioned Bergy and, and she's three mana. This is four mana. And one of the major weaknesses of cards like this is they kind of come down pretty late and then require a particular set of support cards around them to sort of go off. And I'm not sure that set of cards exists in Historic or Pioneer even. I'm not, I don't think this is efficient enough for Modern by any means. Like maybe there's some sort of Historic, is it Storm control deck enabler? We'll talk about other cards that are going to maybe make that a thing. I mean, like the four mana is going to matter a little bit less because the early game is maybe about controlling what's happening. 
and then like you sort of stick this and then kind of go off type thing. But I don't know. I think this is this is a this is a cool magecraft, and I think people are going to try to do something with it for sure. Mm-hmm. But and, I mean, the, well, I mean, I guess the, the one thing to keep in mind is that. Uh, Stormkilt artist gets bigger off of treasure tokens. Yeah, that's exactly what I was just gonna say. Like, I yeah. kind of realized, like, yeah, let's say you you make five treasure tokens. You're doing some removal or some bounce, even like doesn't have to. You there's some efficient blue bounce out there, and then all of a sudden you have a, a seven power Stormkiln artist. Not not shabby. And your opponent shocks it. Yeah, or stomps it. Or, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I don't know this card. This card, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's. I think, like you said, it's too expensive for modern. The weirdest thing about all these cost reducers is that the best ones are all available in all the formats. So, you know, if you look at this through the lens of being a sort of cost reducer, for instance, in sorceries, we have Brawl, we have Goblin Electromancer, we have uh, Birgi, we have Rowan, and we have this. So, like, then those are available in modern, historic, and pioneer. I don't see how this card rates. Yeah, we'll see. Rip apart, Dave. Mm-hmm. Red and a white sorcery. You mm-hmm. get to choose one. You get to deal three damage to target creature or planeswalker, or destroy target artifact or enchantment. This is the most modes. So this is Riptic Command. Is what we're <laughs> what we're calling this, right? Like choose one, deal three damage to target creature, deal three damage to target planeswalker, destroy target artifact, or destroy target enchantment. Or I That's guess it's point. more like a riptic charm. You don't get to choose two. Yeah, so yeah, it's a riptic charm. Yeah, are they going to have charms? Like, are, do we? I, I wonder if the other colors are going to have spells like this as well. Because this is, as far as like charm spells go, like modal spells go for cheap for two CMC. This is pretty good. It's got yeah. a lot of options. Even though it's a sorcery, I mean, people play wear tear often, right? And this is not not the same hyper efficiency with the which one's the one mana where like destroy the, the enchantment, enchantment side is yeah yeah the other so one is just shatter two. yeah just a shatter I mean so this is cool like this is hyper flexible it's a sorcery so yeah it's not quite as good people seem a bit torn on this one rip apart get it so uh, Spike I thought that was a, a, I thought that was a cool Natalie Imbruglia pun you just made thanks. <laughs> Uh, our buddy Spike said over on uh, Twitter that it's a modern staple, but then I've seen people in the replies say, uh, on average, this is worse than a braid. I think this spell is pretty, is quite good. It's quite flexible. I wish it was a lesson, but then it would be busted. I think this is probably a lock for a good amount of play in all of our formats, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think I've played a lot of wear tears in my day. Yeah, okay. yeah right? you almost never play a deck where you can use that as a two for one, where you can use it as wear tear command, like Cole against <laughs> command. It's, I think that this has a huge upgrade on a braid just because you can use it to do three damage to a planeswalker, which is something I frequently find that I'm just kind of like, when yeah. I'm playing a deck that has a braid in the sideboard, I find that I'm often like, uh, I wish I had some kind of answer to a planeswalker as well. And then just also stapling our disenchant, onto it seems like i don't know i even though this is a sorcery i don't know how you could avoid playing a card that has this this many options on it you know we were talking a minute ago about the utility of a card like will and rowan where it's kind of like wow this has got a bunch of things on one card a bunch of ideas on one card but what what can we do with it i think we all know exactly what we can do with two sideboard slots that are rip aparts yeah 
I think it's I think it's a quality card. I'm sure I will cast it pretty soon. Uh, it's it's great. Yeah, why not? Let me just by way of comparison for the instant sorcery thing. By the way, how how often are you really bummed out that collector brutality is a sorcery? Yeah, I mean that that's that's more that's fine as a sorcery. You know what right. I mean? A, a braid is a spell that I do often. Let's in gruel, for example, like a braid's one of my primary sideboard slots. Sure. And I do bring it in a lot against creature decks. And that being an instant is something I want often. So, yeah, I do agree that switching this to a sorcery is worse in this particular example. But then again, I probably won't be running Rip Apart in gruel aggro. Like, this is just, it's a different kind of card for a different kind of deck. And I think, especially, let's say, a, a red white like based control strategy, whether that's like Jeskai or for color or something like that is going to love the flexibility of a card like this, because that's just one more sideboard slot that maybe opens up or that they don't have to consider because they're like, well, I've got rip apart. Right. And I have a lot of my bases covered here. Yeah. I mean, I think the big question here is, does this go in like feather or does this go in burn in modern, even though it's a sorcery because burn often has a sideboard that has some number of braids and some number of wear terror, you know, and so maybe i i mean i yeah. think it's good enough too so for sure okay we are going to talk about a series more in the series of red white based cards because we were getting what was it is it it's not it's it's strixhaven is the school and whatever this the the boros based guild school class i don't know i, I don't know, know yeah, hang out okay. so <laughs> study anyway, group the study group the 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 borough study group they spoiled a bunch of those cards so be prepared mm-hmm. first one i want to talk about is elite spellbinder okay elite spellbinder you may recognize the person in this art as paulo vito v- vitor damo de rosa pv ddr his world championship card probably the best player ever immortalized on a very cool card okay mm-hmm. two and a white creature human cleric flying three one when elite spellbinder etbs look at target opponent's hand it's probably the one across from you you may exile a non-land card from it for as long as that card remains exiled its owner may play it but a spell cast this way costs two more to cast yeah it's a human it's a cleric, I guess, if you're a cleric fan. It's a good card. There's some cool stuff about this. So it's like, yeah, okay, there's like a tax thing. But like, what happens if they remove it? Maria in our Slack pointed out that the opponent doesn't get the card back to hand if Elite Spellbinder dies. It's always taxed, even in exile. So that's mildly appealing. It, I think it definitely puts a better clock in the air than Kitesail Freebooter does, of course, for one mana more. It's an interesting option, I think, for like death and taxes, for humans, for blink style decks. I I think it's cool. I'm not sure it's like immediately slotting in to what is a very crowded three drop slot in modern humans, but it's definitely, there's definitely options there for sure. And it has a single white pip requirement. So this isn't something that's like, okay, Skyclave Apparition is one white white. You have to be more heavily into white. This is something that a mild based like a mild white splash could support or something like that if you like really want access to a card like this 
So I think it has a variety of applications in probably historic, pioneer, and even modern. Uh, I think it's a cool card. Yeah. I mean, you kind of nailed it. I mean, these these cards have a pretty good pedigree. All, almost all the Invitational cards seem some kind of play. The World Championship cards, Invitational cards, whatever. I mean, some of them are longtime staples, like, you know, Dark Confidant or the, you know, Meddling Mage is is one. The uh, the last one I was trying to think, oh, Solemn Simulacrum is one as well. Like, those are all yeah, yeah. Invitational cards. I think that this is as has as much utility as those those cards as well i think the biggest thing about this card is that it attacks well for sure and that's that's the thing that really makes the difference between it being good and and not and i think that it's interesting you know when i think about i've never played humans really but when i think about kite sail freebooter you know that deck can take off the second turn to be able to do disruption and that card gets pumped off of you know exalted triggers and thalia's lieutenant and things like that so I think that that body growing over time makes that a little bit better of a card for modern, but in uh, like historic and pioneer places where you don't play these kind of like human Z decks with the same kind of curve or the same kind of intention, yeah. you specifically you don't really use Thalia's Lieutenant that much though. Maybe, yeah. maybe you will in pioneer once this card is around, you know, I think that these getting this card attacking like a flicker wisp is really, really good for historic and pioneer specifically. And the disruption effect is cool. You want to be aggressive so that your opponent never gets a chance to cast that card again. So I think that this plays really well into that game plan. I'm hopeful about this card being good. Yeah, I'm hyped for it. And it's a cool um, design. What an interesting new mechanic for, for white to have. You know, let's not give white access to straight up discard, but let's tax people temporarily with a, on a specific resource. It all fits in pretty well. Yeah, I think, I mean, Pioneer does have that Orzov Humans deck, and this is just another piece that could be considered for that. I think it's, yeah, it's good. Good work, PV, for getting this cool card. Venerable Warsinger. One red and a white for a Spirit Cleric. I somehow missed copying their power and toughness into the document. It's 3-3. 3-3. Okay, Vigilance and Trample. Whenever Venerable Warsinger deals combat damage to a player... You may return target creature card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield where X is the amount of damage Venerable Warsinger dealt to that player. Dave, is this is this good enough? Like, not for modern, maybe historic, maybe pioneer? I gotta say, I have no idea. I mean, I think that the, the thing that's nice about this is that, you know, there are cards that do things like this that bring back, like, a spell, or something like that. And I think there's a card like that that's in this set. Even oh, yeah, we'll talk about a spell. That. And I think that this effect of bringing back a creature is actually a lot easier to achieve and oh, a lot yeah. better in a lot oh, of ways yeah. because it's useful maybe at more times. Yeah, permanents, permanents are frequently much better than spells. I mean, in this days. kind of recycling sense, too. I think it's awesome that it has trample, of course. You know, that's why the card even works at all so at least you're hoping that you're going to get a one one back on things and there are lots of valuable one ones to be able to try to to bring back i think it's right on the edge of being good enough the problem with modern of course is that it dies immediately to bolt and can't always attack through everything and modern is just yeah. about different things than this card is about but maybe if there's some kind of like long-term grind value deck that warsinger fits into that could be good kind of a bernie deck i mean bringing back a three three with this like some kind of three three mana value card is wild Right. Yeah, so I mean, if you if you get up to there, that's, that's huge. 
So, I mean, you've got like seasoned hollow blade exists to like pitch cards out of your hand while keeping Hallowblade like alive. There's of course other ways to get cards into the yard, whether it's like through creature attrition or some other kind of discardy spells that we're going to be talking about for historic and, and even in uh, pioneer, of course, I think, but the, I mean, the floor is pretty basic, right? It's a three, three vigilance trampler for one red and a white. I think that there's potential here. I, I think that there could be a lot going on with a strategy that incorporates this card. Yeah. So, I mean, like you pump this thing with any number of, you know, red, white feather style stuff. You know, there's a lot of ways to get a lot of stuff back out of the graveyard for sure. Yeah. I mean, in a weird way, you can imagine this card with what's the one from, from Aether Revolt. That brings back a two mana card. I don't know, Dave. You just do a whole thing. Renegade Rallier, I think it's called. Oh, yeah. You can do a whole bunch of revolt plus this kind of bring back your creature stuff. And that's kind of this. This gets at what the. The Lorehold gang is all about, which is getting stuff out of the graveyard, which is somewhat novel for the Boros type identity where it's like, we're aggressive, but the payoff for our aggression is a lot of recursion. And we'll see some more ways in which that is happening with radiant scroll wielder. This card is weird. Mm -hmm. Two red and a white for a dwarf cleric. This is a two, four instant and sorcery spells. You control have lifelink at the beginning of your upkeep. Exile an instant or sorcery card at random from your graveyard. You may cast it this turn. If a spell casts this way, we put into a graveyard exile and instead. Yeah. This is a pretty <laughs> expensive Soulfire Grandmaster, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but Soulfire Grandmaster d- did not recur your spells in this fashion. No, it just lets you put them back in your hand. Which is also cool. Which is interesting, too, yeah. But this, so yeah, this costs four. No, it's not going to be in modern. But there might be something here, but probably not. Random is bad. Random is always bad. Random is always worse than you think it's going to be. But you can control it a little bit in a deck that might be just be a bunch of burn or maybe Dave Feather. Like, you know, you, you have just a lot of redundant spells that are doing similar things and yeah. you're going to get payoffs. Like, I think this is a Feather support card. It's interesting because that deck runs Dreadhorde Arcanist. Yes. Often. And I think in most situations, Dreadhorde Arcanist is just better than this card because you get to pick and because you get to do weird, feathery, recursion, cheaty things with it. One thing that's fascinating is that, you know, this instant and sorcery spells you control have lifelink basically says, play me with bolts. Yeah. And, you know, Feather doesn't really run that many of those, although being able to have uh, Reckless Rage have lifelink on it would be pretty good. That would, I mean, would that, that, sense, do, that would do six, right? Yeah, you would gain six life off of it. Ooh. But I, mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's got a chance. But four mana. Four mana. I don't know. I'm kind of out on this card. I mean, that's fair. That's totally fair. I just think I wanted to point this out as an example of a card that has potential because of the way that they are working with Lorehold here. Right. Well, I do like that they've they've spent a bunch of time trying to make Boros or Lorehold have a separate identity from basically every other time that there's been a red-white guild or 
team or anything you know every red white deck in limited is always i'm going to attack and use combat tricks and so it's good that they're trying something that's a little bit different here as well for sure dave there's another card i want you i want you 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 to talk about that's similar to the card we just talked about yes it's called ifrit flame painter it's three generic and a red it is an ifrit shaman with double strike and this is from the is it one i believe it's, if it was one of the four yeah it's a one four and it says whenever a free flame painter deals combat damage to a player you may cast target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard without paying its mana cost if that spell would be put in your graveyard exile it instead so when you attack you do you got double strike you do double strike and you do the double strikey you kind of do like a you kind of do like a snapcaster mage move sort of with it this is potentially dangerous. Like, I, I am only saying that because it's a single red pip, right? So let's say this is like in some kind of historic or maybe some kind of pioneer. Like, I see it like as a three, three or four color like ramp deck. Maybe it has some self mill, mm-hmm. right? And you're putting like some ultimatums or something absurd in your graveyard and using removal so that this creature can get through and then you just get some bonkers card out of your graveyard again this is best case scenario mentality but i don't think that that's out of the question i think this is a i think it's a high ceiling low floor card but i wouldn't be surprised to see people doing some combo type shenanigans with this card more than something fair i think it's i think it's probably better use doing something broken than just trying to be a value engine but it could be that too. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think that's probably the biggest move with it is to try to get something absurd into your, your graveyard and cast it there. You know, there's another card from Theros block called prophetic flame speaker. That is a one, three double strike trample that says whenever prophetic flame speaker deals combat damage to a player, exile the top card of your library, you may play it this turn. And so you could, with this card have you know exiled a couple of things off the top cast them for free it's not restricted to instant or sorcery it's not restricted to things that are already in your graveyard so you're guaranteed to get something every time this card saw like no play like no play anywhere ever and so it does worry me a little bit about how good this card really is you know it reminds me a little bit of also that red card that lets you put a sneak attack a planeswalker in a way where it's kind of like it looks like something you could play for value but it's really something that you want to do on a combo kind of move so i feel like you're right that it's like okay maybe i'm using maybe a single red card that lets me discard two cards to be able to put something like omniscience no those things aren't value Those, those are not legal well but at any rate trying to figure out some way to put like omniscience into my graveyard and then cast it for free possibly but I'm, I don't know. This card is on the bubble for me too, mostly just because of mana cost. I think it's too pricey. I think I wouldn't, I mean, it's too pricey, but then you got a ramp deck, right? I mean, there's, there's, that's why I mentioned the ramp because I think having this a little bit early is pretty cool. You know, you untap, you cast a removal spell, you get this thing through. And then, I mean, there's, there's some options here. It might not, it might not do anything. It might do some really annoying stuff. I think people are going to experiment with it because casting a, spell from your graveyard without paying its mana cost is potentially really good yeah it can be really good and really broken 
Okay. What else so do we I, have next? I highlighted a lesson, Dave, from the day. Dave, uh, Dave, mm-hmm. let's let's let's. Dave, I know you're busy. You're, you have a you're, you have busy busy job, busy life. So I picked out today's cards. So you go with me here. One white white, reduced to memory. One 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 white white sorcery lesson. Exile target non land permanent. Oh, well, that sounds cool. Mm-hmm. But its controller creates a three two red and white spirit creature token. This is a pretty good lesson, though, right? Like, I think it's definitely playable. It's not overpowered. It's safe. Very safe. Mm-hmm. Spells like this don't see a ton of play. Like, you know, the generous gift, beast within style stuff. Yeah, I mean, you and I had a, a discussion about generous gift back when Modern Horizons came out. Yeah. Where we're kind of, I'm kinda not like, high on it, right? This comes around. You sh- these happen sometimes. And then, yeah... It, you know, you were like, no, they're not very good. And then it hasn't seen a ton of play comes up occasionally. Beast within comes up occasionally. I think having it be searchable for a moment that you really want it is yeah. nice. Now you do have this whole thing where this card versus Skyclave apparition becomes kind of a weird thing, right? So in a deck, you're going to start any deck that probably wants this card with four Skyclave apparitions first. Sure. And then maybe you have one of these in the sideboard. Maybe you have two of these in the sideboard just in case. But I do think this is the one of the first ones that I've seen with a lesson mechanic that seems like it fits into what I would want, which is give me a card. Maybe I play it on a two drop that has learn, which is just like a Ophi creature and it draws me a removal spell and that's fine. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a potential for this to be very playable. Not in modern, of course, because and again, like you said, we have to have a learn card that's worth playing in the first place. So this, these, these are, these are tandems, right? Like this is a one white, white. This is not something you're going to splash for in like, you know, a three color deck that's, that's running white. I mean, maybe, maybe cause you can, you know, get this in when it's like a five drop or a six drop you're tagging. Right. But I think there's flexibility here. I think that it's the tutor up the tutor nature makes this really powerful. If it can be combined with a card that you want to run, that's also a learn card. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the type of card that makes more borderline learn cards more playable, right? Like you, yeah. you don't necessarily want rampant growth, which is what one of the colorless learn cards does, but a removal spell. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm even, even with now. the drawback. Right. All right. Archmage Emeritus, a magecraft card for us to talk about again, mm. two blue, blue, for a human wizard, it is a 2-2, so it's a 4-mana 2-2. My favorite. Yeah, you love cards like this. The only text on this says, Magecraft, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, draw a card. Yeah, I mean, drawing cards is good. I don't know about stapling onto a 2-2. Like, when I first saw this, I thought it was a 3-drop, okay? And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I guess I could play this on turn 4, and then have like an instant or sorcery to like at least get the card back type thing because this thing is going to get stomped mm-hmm. from from major value Imme- immediately. Yeah, yeah. So like for like let's say young pyromancer, right? Like you play young pyromancer a lot of times on turn three, depending on the matchup, of course, because you want to be able to at least get a token out of it if your opponent interacts with it. It's like what are you doing? You're going to play us on turn five to like try to get a card back out of it and just hope to like untap with it and then really kind of go off. I don't know. I, the two blue blue makes me not love it. What do you think? What do you think, Dave? This is a card that thinks way more in your wheelhouse. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the more I think about this card, like it's definitely fragile. So I don't know if it makes it into any of the eternal formats because of the the mana value to power ratio. But if you think about this versus Stormkiln guy that we just spent a bunch of time talking about, I think that clearly yeah. as good as making a treasure every time that you, you know, that's a super powerful effect for Magecraft. I think draw a card is maybe ultimately more powerful or more useful with a mechanic at least. And I think it, it lets you be able to put this card into a deck that's more controlly where you're kind of like, Hey, I'm going to put it up with some protection. Every time I play one of my protection spells on it, I draw a card, yeah. you know, maybe you play it in a rampy type deck and it's like every time I grow, you know, I grow spiral into it. And then every time I play grow spiral, once it's up, I draw two cards and get to play a land to have extra interaction up. So I think it has potential to become a real engine in longer game plan decks the problem yeah. with those decks is that they don't play a lot of creatures right and so sure. putting a creature main deck that's not uro you know that recurs itself means that you make your opponents removal live and so suddenly you have this threat that you didn't really have any ways for your opponent to get value out of their removal before now you have some but could be a great cyborg card yeah I mean, it could be the ones like i'm i'm always shaving like my bone crusher giants against control strategies because it's like well i have other three drops that maybe have haste or something like that that are better against you know a sweeper or a removal pile strategy so you kind of bring this in against a, a deck that ha like let's say let's again let's go to gruel aggro right minimal removal in the first place you don't play a lot of removal main deck you're going to shave the, that those the kind of removal interaction that you might have at all probably against a deck like this bring in that archmage and your opponent has no way really to deal with it and you take over you know you untap with it it's kind of like what's uh, what's the innkeeper right you know what i mean like yeah edge wall innkeeper yeah we, we know the power of cards that can just draw more cards and instant or sorceries are going to be more ubiquitous in a deck like this than even adventure creatures are in Gruul or Naya adventures. Yep. Totally agree. So I think this card is like a maybe. Yeah. I think it's cool. Yeah, I think it has potential. I like you talking about it as more of a controlling like pivot card where it's like, hey, I can get some value out of this and sort of get a lot of card advantage while being stapled to a creature. So why not? Why not? All right, Shane, this next one is one that you added to the list. Yeah, I mean, I'm only because I think it's cool. A Wither Bloom Apprentice, black and green, human druid, 2-2. Two, two. It's a bear. Magecraft, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So I want this card to be cool, but it's not really in the colors you want. Yeah, like, I think that's the weirdest thing about this is that when you see Magecraft expand out away from, you know, blue and red into black green you're suddenly like what are we paying people for casting instants and sorceries and what instants and sorceries are they going to cast like yeah. what's going on here i it's like it's just like the bizarre member of like the blood artist falcon wrath aristocrat zealaport cutthroat meetup group yeah and like he's like i'm yeah. really into illusions yeah no they're they're like He's like, yeah, killing creatures is great, but you ever cast op? <laughs> like that's that's what he's asking, and they're like, opt, like, get no, out of here with your ops. No, we're we're sacrificing things. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just like you said, 
it's not really in like the the guild slash colors that are really sort of cantripping and casting a lot of spells. It's it's probably not going to do what I want it to do, but I think it's interesting that they are branching out into this realm in uh, Golgari colors. Yep, agreed. All right, Dragon's Guard Elite, we talked about a little bit. We didn't give our reactions to it. I just think this is a card that I would like to be good, and if you ever wanted to be in a in a red-green prowess deck for some reason, which we've seen occasionally, especially in Historic, like that could be cool. But no evasion is a big strike against cards like this. Yeah. I mean, I'm comparing this in my mind to like Flourishing Fox. Yeah. And I'm I'm kind of not impressed with Dragon's Guard Elite. Like it's like I think you should compare it to Sprite Dragon more than Flourishing Fox even. Although Flourishing Fox is pretty good too. But to me this is reminiscent of like, well, a 1/1 body with haste and flying is just better than a 2/2 body with neither of those things with the same ability. I mean, I, I guess what I was getting at is that Flourishing Fox is a one drop mm-hmm. and it's kind of the same concept, which is like you need the deck to be built around Flourishing Fox and Dragon's Guard Elite is likely going to need a sort of deck that's built around it as well. So it's just kind of like, hey, Flourishing Fox is more efficient. It's and it, 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 it's already in a strategy and it's already not like some kind of crazy card that people are like oh man flourishing fox i hate flourishing fox i mean some people probably do but yeah dragon's guard elite i think it's cool i like the idea of yeah let's bring back red green prowess why not we've got we've got some we've got some cool cards in this set like one that i didn't call out talk about it really quickly we don't it's it's like potion of empowerment type idea it's 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 a green instant you gain two life target Mm. creature gets plus x plus x until end of turn where x is the amount of life you gained this turn so that would be an instant uh plus three plus three onto a card like this so it's like you know you're not gonna run a bunch of potion of empowerments probably but you know why not yeah you could you could make this thing but you can make this thing big quickly you could crash through, you know, there's a bunch of stuff you can do with it. So maybe there's like a aggressive Naya deck out there in the yeah, world of, I mean, of feather. I just think there's a chance that it's like red green, like teamer prowess in historic or something like that. <clears throat> Especially if we don't get a one mana, one mana magecraft card that I'm so desperately looking for. Dave, I, I picked this one out today because I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. And it's curate. Yep. I'll read one in the blue, one in the blue instant. Look at the top two cards of your library. I believe that's called Scry 2, but it's not. Put any number of them into your graveyard and the rest back on top of your library in any order, and then you draw a card. Isn't it actually Surveil 2? Is it, should uh, this card no, just say not, one blue instant, Surveil 2, draw a they, card? No, you know, you know how they like to not have Surveil be consistent. Yeah. It, but essentially it is Surveil. Draw yeah, card. no, it is it is surveil draw card. Okay, so this is one blue and an instant surveil to a draw card. Ah, no, not not actually surveil. Right, your 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 spy bug, your demir spy bug based decks will not succeed with this. Oh no, not my spy bugs. I think that this card is a lot like that one that was ponder for two mana. Remember from. Is that, like, is that the name M- of the card? M20. Yeah, it's Ponder for two mana is the name of this card. <laughs> Remember me from M20? Yeah. I was. I, people thought I was so good. 
I kind of bought into that card a little bit, and then it was just like, no, the only reason these cards are good is because they cost one mana. I mean, this one has the distinction of going up against a card that is two mana in strategic planning because it's very yeah. close to strategic planning. Which is a sorcery. You're right, which is also a sorcery. So that's the trade-off you're making is that you get one less card, but you get an instant. I just don't know, man. Like this one, <laughs> I feel like... I feel like I'm just going to want strategic planning in almost every deck that I'm going to play this this in because the biggest part is I'm digging to put things in the, Into graveyard. the graveyard. I'm not running this for value. And so I think seeing three cards is so much better than seeing two for two mana that I, I'm doubtful about this card being good enough, especially yeah. for our formats. For sure. Yeah, I think that people are going to test this they're going to test it against something like strategic planning, maybe even with something like strategic planning. And I think you're probably right. And that it's just not going to be doing enough for the mana cost, mana value, let's say. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Especially where you're just like, I'm trying to get graveyard reanimation targets into my yard. You know, if you're playing that dwarf guy, you, you want to get three cards into the graveyard to cast for, to choose from to cast for free instead of only two. I got one more card before we head into a series of cards. Okay. And it's Shadrick's Silver Silver Quill. Yeah. A three white black legendary elder dragon, two five flying double strike. At the beginning of combat on your turn, so note that's the turn you play it, you may choose two. Each mode must target a different player. Target player creates a two one white and black inkling creature token with flying. Target player draws a card and loses one life. Target player puts a 1-1 counter on each creature they control. I think this is like a potential historic control finisher. That's like about it. I think it has potential. This is not a great card. I think it's a cool card that could see some play. Let me ask you a question. When, when is this card better than Dream Trawler? Rarely. When you're not playing blue. <laughs> when you're playing white-black. White black control finisher Shadrick Silver Quill come yep. up to the plate. What do you think? What do you think Shadrick Silver Quill's walk up music is? <laughs> oh man, oh man, what do you think it is? Dave? What's that triple A slash line look like on Shadrick Silver Quill? I just did Silver- a fantasy baseball <laughs> baseball draft last night. Is it is a power speed guy? No batting average or just I, a yeah, slick, I think I think slick Silver fielding. Quill, I think he's I think he's like a two forty. But like 402, 405. I think he's, mm-hmm. it's like an 800 OPS, but always gets on. Good, good UZR. Yeah. Thanks, Shadricks. All right. Yeah. I don't think that card's good enough. I, I will be bummed. You know, I saw someone mention the other day in our Slack, they were like, if it says creature type Elder Dragon, it's not really for constructed. And I was like, but what about Dragon Lord Silumgar and like the, the, remember the, like, the, Silumgar, the roaming death or whatever like there were those were pretty good cards Dragonlord Ojitai was a good card yeah I mean Atarka Ojitai they saw some play right Coligan that's what I'm thinking I'm thinking of yeah Coligan did stuff he had haste yeah the fury one that had was a 4-4 attacker for I mean those are those were constructed playable cards so but this one not for us yeah if you think so okay I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised okay all right, next, like, it's really funny. I feel like you're usually a pessimist, and tonight I'm like, no, these cards aren't good enough. I mean, I'm t- look, I'm, I'm, I was in a rare mood to have hope, Dave. <laughs> to have hope. 
Okay. Let's talk about the commands because we never got around to talking about the commands in this set because there are actually commands in this set. They are very akin to the cons of Tarkir or dragons of Tarkir uh, command cycle in the sense that they are mostly cheaper. They're enemy colors. So they're completing that cycle in some ways, which is something people have been wanting for a long time. They've been wanting to see the enemy cycle an enemy cycle command option. Oh, yeah. we, we've talked about that as like, when we, when we used to use, when we used to do wind downs and people would be like, what kind of cards do you want to see? Yeah. And we'd be like, oh yeah, we want those commands. Yeah. Generally a cool thing. The last time these were printed, we got bonafide staple Coligan's command. One of the greatest, greatest three MC spells, three CMC spells one, ever. One of your favorites. One of my favorites. Role players, Dromoka's command, Atarka's command, and even super occasionally Ojitai's command seems play. I refuse to believe anyone has ever cast Silumgar's command to this day. So it's a heavily awaited cycle, but let's go through it really quick. So the Quandrix command, the Witherbloom command, and the Lorehold command, these are all unplayable, I think. I'm not even going to read yeah, that. I got some hope for Witherbloom. But there is like there's the parts don't add up to the whole and it's sorcery speed. And there's like some ostensible value there, but it's probably enough like not enough. Like it just I can't I can just imagine like how little value this has like on the draw. Yeah. Often. I mean, I'll read it really quickly. So Witherbloom is two CMC, so it's one that you definitely want to look at really closely because it's choose two modes for two CMC. But the modes are target player mills three cards, then you return a land card from your graveyard to your hand. Okay. Destroy t- target non-creature, non-land permanent with mana value two or less. Okay. Target creature gets minus three, minus one until end of turn. And target opponent loses two life and you gain two life. I mean, maybe I could reassess this a little bit just because it is so cheap and it has the ability to kill a creature, kill a problematic low value permanent and basically ignore you know, the other two modes occasionally you might use it for ramp or fixing your draw i guess with the fetch land i just i think it just becomes pretty useless pretty fast there's not enough hype like the power level of the card is not high enough to like put go into a deck like a black green based deck of almost any stripe so yeah i mean it's tough when you're competing with decks that can run abrupt decay which does both of those two middle modes it can't get you a two for one and also Assassin's Trophy, which I think are just more reliable. But I will bump this up from unplayable to maybe. I still think that Quandrix and Silver Quill are both, or sorry, Quandrix and Lorehold are still not not good enough. But that leaves two. So Silver Silver Quill Command is two colorless, a white and a black for a sorcery that says choose two. Target creature gets plus three, plus three, and gains flying until end of turn. Return target creature card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Target player draws a card and loses one life. Target opponent sacrifices a creature. That's Silver Quill command for you. Cool sorcery. Yeah, why is this a sorcery? Cool sorcery, my friend. It's like, I mean, it's just, I think it's probably too good as an instant, right? Is it because the first mode is too good? If it's an instant, like you can do some crazy block stuff or something? I don't know. I don't, I don't Here's what I, could, I think that or, or reanimating at instant speed is too good. Yeah. Like, like let's say, I mean, it doesn't like, it's, it's not like it gives haste, I guess. So it's like, I don't know if the parts here add up to the whole for me as like a four mana sorcery. Like it's like, maybe let's say something like a grindy Orzhov based shadow deck, right? right? Like then that's like maybe kind of where we see it or you get your scourge back 
late game, and that's pretty cool. Those are two potentially great late game cards to have access to. The plus three plus three in gains flying is really good. Like giving something like a, like a Skyclave, Badman, or a Death Shadow flying an evasion, really nice. Plus a pump. I don't know. I think that it's 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 tempting to sort of say like, yeah, it could be great in a bad deck. <laughs> <laughs> Or a not great deck. I was just looking at it going, when you said that, I was like, huh, well, it makes my Death Shadow fly, or it brings my Death Shadow back, or it lets me draw a card, or it makes my opponent sacrifice a creature. That's all fine. Start to like it a little more there. Like, it's like, it's like 3.5 mana. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not quite four for me. I don't know. I don't know either. This is this is a card where I feel like if, you ever gonna, if you're ever going to see it, it's going to be a one-off. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. just one of those things. Yeah. Like, cause, because it's just, it's way too, it's terrible to draw two of these like ever, you know what right. I mean? And like, and it's even bad in your opener. So it's like one of those things you want to see occasionally to like really win a game. But if you're really grasping for straws at that point, maybe in particular metas, maybe as a sideboard card, like against removal, heavy type decks or something like that. I mean, I don't know. I think yep. it's, I think it's, it's better as the game goes longer. I think. Yeah, I agree. All right. So the last one is Prismari Command, which is one generic, one blue, one green, or one red. Sorry. One generic, one blue, one red. It's an instant. So this one is just basically like Coligan's Command, right? <laughs> so it's choose two from this list. Prismari Command deals two damage to any target. Destroy target artifact. Target player draws two cards, then discards two cards, and target player creates a treasure token. So yeah. it's two modes of coal against command plus is it charm plus make a treasure token plus investigate yeah was that investigate was not in no not that's not a clue it's a that's not clue it's a treasure it's a treasure yeah, that's yeah. What i was saying i was saying clue was not in blue and red was it uh Clues yeah it was other, it had I thought there they were, were there were clue mechanics okay in everything kind of anyway cool uh cool side conversation yeah i mean this is i think this is the most realistically playable in any of our formats. Like, I yeah, don't know if this be- is because it's Cole against command. Yeah, that's why okay. it's, it's, that's why it's playable. They just made Cole against command again. I mean, I like there's, I mean, the, the looting is pretty cool. It's an expensive loot. You know what I mean? It's an expensive yeah. loot card. Yeah. It ramps. You know what I mean? It, ramping is never bad. I mean, sometimes it's bad, but it's rarely, it's rarely something that you're like, it's a good fail safe. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, well, they have a really good artifact that I want to hit and I wouldn't mind casting this, this uh, five drop next turn. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, why not give me a little treasure token? Yep. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that these modes are good. It probably will see play. Why doesn't this have a conditional counter mode? I mean, it seems like it has to, right? Yeah, the only one that has a conditional counter is the is the Quandrix one, and like that's fine. But I really wish that this one had like counter target instant on it or something like that would be feel more appropriate to me than yeah. what's here. Dave, I'm a little I'm a little sad. I'm very sad about these. I don't love these commands. That's why I mean that's why I wasn't even like very amped up to talk about them when they were spoiled over a month ago. Yeah. We didn't we never talked about them for a reason. Yep. These are a bummer. Okay, last card from before. Last card for the dive down. We're, we're going to call it a night after this card. Is uh, Professor Onyx, which is four colorless black black. Legendary Planeswalker Liliana. Didn't realize it was Liliana when I first saw it. 
Uh, I thought maybe it was a joke. Magecraft has a static Magecraft ability. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Plus one, you lose one life. You look at the top three cards of your library, put one in your hand and the rest in your graveyard. Minus three, each opponent sacrifices a creature with the greatest power among creatures that player controls. And minus eight, each opponent may discard a card. If they don't, they lose three life. Repeat this process six more times. (laughs) Loyalty five. Okay, this is the biggest Magecraft payoff we've seen so far. It casts Brainstorm for a plus one. Or maybe even better than Brainstorm, honestly, because you get to get rid of the bad cards. It's minus is Crackling Doom. (laughs) Yeah. And then the minus eight is just insane. So this card's powerful. It's a six mana Planeswalker with high loyalty. It's not cheap. It's too big for modern, I think. I think this card has a home in a win con for some kind of like maybe Demir control deck or something like that. It just seems super powerful. Plus you just kill somebody while you're doing your plan with this card. You know, you don't even have to ultimate it or whatever to be able to do the drain game that it does. You can play this and then have some counter spell up. If you have to counter something, they take two. If you cast op, they take two. If you thought sees them late game, they take two. Like, those are those are ways that this card can be on plan for you still in a deck like that i think yeah i don't disagree but it's like the only thing i I, the thing that i like about this is that it's it's black black so it could support archetypes that don't necessarily exist right now in let's say pioneer and historic right like you said like maybe this makes demure control better and they don't have to be like this rampy salty ultimatum style deck yeah but like for one more mana you cast salta ultimatum and you're winning that game or not salta what emergent ultimatum whatever it's called the ultimatum card that i don't like to see cast against me right emergent Uh, yeah yeah so it's like this this costs six mana people on it people seem pretty higher on it than me like i think it's like 40 dollars pre-order right now and i'm like i don't really know why like I think maybe, people think it's going to be big in the emergent ultimatum decks in yeah. standard. It's part of yeah. why this could be. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, standard does move, move cards for sure. People are apparently playing standard offline. So, yeah, I mean, more power to them. This is not a card. I'm not going to pre-order or craft. I'm fine being wrong on this one. I don't think I am at 40 bucks. Not a lot of planeswalkers see $40 and higher, especially six mana ones. Yep. But I think that, like you said, I think that the Magecraft payoff is great. I think, like you said, you don't have to start minusing it. You don't have to go for the ultimate. Getting there is great, but just the static alone is is pretty awesome. If you can untap with it, maybe you have some cantrips. Maybe you just have a few removal spells. Maybe you have some draw, draw a card that gets you two more cards. I mean... You can start playing your, playing your late game, draw two cards, and you get more spells and blah, 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 blah. And just, you know, you, 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 you recover your life that you might be pretty low on and drain your opponent out. Why not? Yep. Okay. Now it is time for us to hop over to a whole new topic. We're running out of time tonight, as usual. I had a whole bit written. I was going to do this whole thing. We were going to do this wind-up about the art style and all this stuff, but we don't have time for that. I think this is a bigger discussion as far as what's going on with the mystical archive reprint set that's hidden within Strixhaven that we can talk about maybe next week when Stan is back and potentially we have some other special guests. Yeah, it probably makes sense. Our take on the whole thing. 
but tonight just to give real-time reactions to the all those cards being spoiled we can give shane and i can give our reactions to what's going on with this set so in case you missed it mystical archives these are like the all-time great instants and sorceries that are being reprinted into this set it's a set of 63 there's going to be one in each pack nothing too wild about this except for the fact that these cards most of them 56 of them will be legal in historic and that's where things got wild yeah yeah so how many new cards are being added to historic it's 34 34 so we have 34 fresh off of the release of anthology 4 we're getting anthology 4.5 Exactly. 34, 34 new cards. So 29 other cards are either pre-banned or they're reprints of cards that you already know and love on Magic the Gathering Arena. Yep. And so, you know, for fun, we saw that Saffron Olive had posted like a tier maker for this that some people in our community joe cheney among them did like a ranking then we had some fun talking about it so shane and i did our rankings and we thought we would just talk about kind of talk about them in tears about what we think is going to be the most impactful i think the biggest thing about this is economic model aside these things are going to cause a massive amount of change in historic because the cards that they printed in it are so good they really are all-time greats Okay. I, I will say though, this exercise put me a little bit more at ease. This this looking at all the cards, putting them into tiers, having kind of a thought process behind what I meant in my brain by each tier. And I was like, okay, I'm a little bit less scared, but I think there's still a lot of reason to be excited, slash apprehensive, slash freaked out. And let's get into some of those. Yep. Okay. So for our S tier, what I would call our S tier, well, Shane, Shane has maybe so Ryu, these other places. Ryu and Dan, right? Yeah, exactly. Zelda, Link? Link? Yep. Uh, Kirby. Love it. <laughs> is, is that what this was for originally? Smash Brothers? All right. Anyway. Oh, yeah. I think it's, yeah. That's, I, that's like the first time I saw S tier is when they were just like, is beyond the A tier for like fighting game characters. Yeah. Okay, so the number one card, I think Shane and I both agree on this, the card that we think is going to make the most impact on Historic from the Mystical Archives is Inquisition of Kozilek. Okay, hold on. I I do want to interrupt here. I don't necessarily think it will make the biggest impact. I think it has the biggest impact combined with the most obvious homes. Yep, and I think that's fair. Yeah, Inquisition of Kozilek. So we know this card. Some of us love this card. Some of us hate this card, but the, the... big upshot here is now modern's hand disruption suite basically the best hand disruption suite available at one cmc is now available in historic as well and so what you're going to do is you're going to have people trying this out in jun type shells you're going to have people trying it out in death shadow type shells all of a sudden you can get up to six one mana hand disruption spells and that is really annoying i think for people in a format there we already thought uh thought Seize was potentially too good yeah. I mean, you could, you could have eight, Dave. I mean, t- I mean, six is typically the number. But people definitely play seven or eight of these, depending on the meta and the deck that they're playing. So it's, oh, yeah. it wouldn't be unheard of. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is just, is this potentially dangerous? Like, is this adding too much to decks that don't really need the bump? Like I, like I said, this is an S here for me. It's the only card in S 
because it's the only clear addition to me to many existing great strategies in Historic. It's not gonna have any new decks built around it. It's just great, it's just efficient, and it does something that a format like, I mean, like Historic, you can get a lot of tempo advantage. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that Thoughtseize is so good is because you, you can really stop an opponent's game plan because the spells aren't as efficient to come back from. And a, a Inquisition of Kozilek is slightly less so, but you don't lose life, etc., etc. You can just get that rule of eight going on where you have eight of the same effect. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm afraid of this really pushing both the hand disruption and the removal suite very heavily in black right now. It's going to make black-based decks even more powerful and even more ubiquitous, and they have a lot going for them already. Totally agree. All right, let's move on to a card that neither one of us has cast in a very long time. I've never cast a spell. You never cast a spell. All right, the next spell that I had in my S tier is Brainstorm. Okay, Brainstorm, Legacy Staple. Vintage restricted card, if I remember correctly. Brainstorm. This one I don't think was too shocking, though. I mean, I think if you make a list of the best spells ever and put it out there, Brainstorm is a common. It's been reprinted a lot of times. To see it reprinted in a set where it's going to end up in Historic was surprising. But this format doesn't have a lot of great cantrips already. And so I actually think that while this card is going to get played a lot, I don't have a lot of fears about it being too good for the format, you know, because there's no fetch lands, of course. However, I do think the people who are kind of like, this card isn't good in a format without fetch lands, you know, I I think that that's kind of over overwrought as well. I I think that this is a good card. It's better than opt. It's maybe the best one blue cantrip that we're going to get in historic. And I think it's a good one. Yeah. I mean, it's a powerful card. There's ways to shuffle your deck. I mean, there's Field of Ruin. There's, you know, we we have our sort of quote-unquote fetch lands, of course. I don't know. I think that there's a lot of ways to get value out of a Brainstorm, and there's ways to put this into other decks, like perhaps new decks that are using other new cards that we're going to have access to, whether they're in Strixhaven, whether they're in these mystical archives. I think that there's potential for Brainstorm to be useful, mainly because it's cheap and it does stuff. And so, and it does stuff that decks that run blue frequently want to have access to. So like you said, it's like, it's better than opt and opt is something that people run in decks like uh, Phoenix decks and things like that simply because it does something. And so why not do something better? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that the, the thing that people underrate a little bit about brainstorm too, is like it's, it lets you fix your curve in a way that, that, is non-destructive too. you know what I mean? It's where it's kind of like, okay, maybe I, I don't want to get rid of these cards. You know, it's certainly not as good as like opt a bunch or a scry a bunch and then p- draw one card and put the other ones wherever you want. That's just more options, but we're not going to get ponder, you know, and we're not going to get preordained <laughs> like this. This is where it is. And I think there's a lot of ways to use it. And I think it's especially powerful in conjunction with the next card on the list that I have in my S tier, which is faithless looting. I just, I, I still thought this was a lie. And this one was a hundred percent a surprise to me. I did not think that this card would show up again, but I mean, this is, this is one of those cards that can warp a format, 
right? Like this is one of those things that like everyone, including myself for months and months and months was like, ah, looting's fine. It's okay. Like it doesn't do enough. It doesn't do too much. It's like you have to build around it. It has to, and then like once it was gone, I think everyone was kind of like, yeah, it kind of was too good, wasn't it? It kind of was too good. Yeah. And well, now I think we're the just main thing is, the main thing is it really can warp a format around it. You know, if you yes. think about, exactly. you know, I don't think Inquisition of Kozilek and or Brainstorm are things that cause as much forward design problems as Faithless Looting does, because now sure. every time you have a card that can possibly be some kind of graveyard payoff, you have to think about how good it's going to be in context with Faithless Looting in Historic, unless they just don't care. And so, you know, we have dredge pieces in historic right now it's not all of them but it's enough to try to put together a deck like that we have god pharaoh's gift in historic like that's a whole thing that you can get into with 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 this and there's other things going forward whenever anybody wants to do something that's really powerful for a lot of mana if you want to cheat it back into play with some historic payoffs like that's just possible as a combo from now on and so now faithless looting is always going to be there enabling it now yeah. The thing that I'm excited about, of course, is that a lot of people feel like, you know, Blue Red Phoenix is going to be legit with Brainstorm and Faithless Looting now. And I tend to agree. And that makes me excited because I love those cards. I would love to play them again. It would be awesome if, you know, we get the whole bird gang together and it's it's Stormwing Entity and Phoenix <laughs> and, and everything good and all the cards that I love in one deck. I, I think it's possible. I'll certainly be looking for it, but I'm extremely worried that it's really that that's not going to be the most powerful way to use this card in historic. Mm. And then everybody's going to be just bummed that it exists. Here's my prediction is that like first week, first two weeks, you're going to see people trying to perfect a, a Phoenix deck because Phoenix, for whatever reason is the deck that people refuse to give up on and yeah. more power to those players since especially since looting has died i think we're gonna see that and i i think like you said though dave is that we're gonna we're gonna realize fairly quickly that there's something worse and more a little more heinous a little bit more broken and we're not gonna be happy about it yeah i mean i can't wait until two years from now when people are like but what if brainstorm and faithless looting are just like the identity of historic <laughs> and i'm just gonna be like oh my god like we're having the, this discussion again you know <laughs> i i put these two cards in my tier a brief explanation is that is because i don't i don't think they automatically go into a number of existing great decks but i, I could be wrong about that because like faithless looting is all like an automatic probably in Rakdos arcanist Mm-hmm. But like Rakt- Arcanist isn't really a tier one deck right now. I think it's like in the low fifties. I'd put it at tier two compared to the other stuff. But it's also going to add something to like the Hollow One Flame Blade Adept based cycling decks. I think those are still marginal. They're still being refined, but I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the discussion of looting is wrapped up in that potential, and it's there. I'm really hoping it can be non-broken, but I'm also concerned that it's going to be one of those cards where you're like one mana faithless looting like or like turn one faithless looting and that's going to be like turn one once upon a time yeah and it's that i mean that's it's supporting a bunch of different strategies and i think that's what ultimately made it too good for modern is it was just doing too much for too many different things yep but i love faithless at the same time i love playing it and so i you know that i will be when it when it's around oh yeah Okay, so our next card down, I think you and I agreed on it, although you've now stepped all of your cards down a tier. 
Oh no, kind of there before. I, I no no no. I would. Okay. From from this point think? forward in the discussion, oh, yeah, yeah, I have yeah, them yeah. one tier higher than you, but I think that our general order of cards is the same. Yes, I think tier doesn't matter as much as like kind of our order of impact. Right. So we think the next most impactful card is what? Probably time warp. Time warp. You think? You think? Yeah, I think so. Let's yeah. do it again. Yeah, five CMC. Take another turn. That's it. Yeah, I mean, there's it's a powerful card, right? Like it's it's probably going to be part of some legitimate enough strategy, but I think like is. Is Time Warp the type of card... Time Warp, historically, has not been the type of card that just go, gets thrown into a deck, right? Like, it's sort of like... It's kind of a build-around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you don't generally see people run this for value unless they have a way to recur it in some kind of long game plan. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen here, too, is that people are going to try to rebuild the old Nexus of Fates, Turbo Foggy, Tamiyo decks that were around in Pioneer for a while and also were a bit of a plague in Historic. And I think it's probably going to work. Yeah, I mean, you could you could Torrential Gear Hulk this. There's There's options. Yep. Yep. And so I'm not going to go too deep on it, but other than to say, I think this is pretty like it could be deck defining. It's probably not format defining, but it could be really annoying. Yeah. On the same sort of tier as this is like, I have like sort of the storm type cards that for some reason are getting printed in historic. We've got, we've got grape shot. We've got mind's desire. We've got tendrils of Ag- agony, weather, the storm, Mm-hmm. Man, like, what are they doing, Dave? <laughs> Why did they print a bunch of storm cards into historic? I don't like, know. It's called the what the the storm scale. It like, is called like, the storm scale. Yeah, let's just let's just do it. Why not? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think that these clearly form a bunch of powerful payoffs for spells matter decks, essentially, right? And I'm not thrilled about that. We already had okay, an okay number of. You know, there already were a few decks that did stuff like this. You know, I'm thinking about Kinnon and Paradox Engine and all that kind of stuff as being another kind of like Eggsy type deck. I think that this deck will probably end up in a similar place where you're going to cast Mind's Desire five times in a turn and then do something. You know, maybe one of one of the cards you get is another Mind's Desire and you go off again and just kind of keep going from there. That sounds good. Yeah, doesn't sound good to me. Definitely not the type of deck that I'm going to play. I mean, I love that people love these cards. Yeah. But we have no rituals. You know what I mean? There's, there's not a lot of broken stuff to support them. And that's kind right. of like the Phoenix problem, right? Which is like, right. sure, here's your here's some payoffs. And these payoffs, I think, are likely better than Phoenix. Than Arc, than, not Arclay. Is it Arclay Phoenix? Yeah, Arclay yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. But the, the, the tools that exist to make storm a thing are not very good so are we going to get there i don't know i think there's a lot of work that will be involved in making storm a thing simply because the the rest of the deck is not as efficient as it needs to be yeah i mean for my part i think that the best one out of this whole group is going to be mind's desire and it's just going to be a great way to make these blue spells decks go 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 and maybe they have aetherflux reservoir as another thing that they do as part of it and maybe maybe they don't and maybe there's all kinds of other things there but i I think that that's the storm deck that actually works in historic like you said without rituals without lava dart without you know spells that are free essentially it's a little bit harder to make grape shot great 
Although yeah. I still think grape shot's going to be useful somewhere. And I even think that there's a chance that tendrils could be good in the right, the right type of deck. Certainly weather the storm is just an annoying sideboard card to have around to make a deck like Phoenix, not as good, <laughs> Yeah, which, which is sure. a bummer, but it is what it is. I do wish there was something that had like better answers to the to these cards available. Like Whirlwind Denial is available in the format and that counters a bunch of spells. But like I don't you know, there's no counterflux or something like that. I mean, not that that was a great card against Storm either, but I don't know if the tools are available to fight Storm in Historic, and that's probably what annoys me the most. Yeah. Could be an issue. Okay. So that's our A our S A and B tier cards yeah like the stuff that will either make new decks a thing or will be seeing play for sure all right like my c tier and my c tier is basically stuff that i think will see play like maybe it's a role player it's maybe something that's going to be pretty good might not be very good but like it's stuff that i think i'm going to see cast against me or by me at some point but not really like break open the format or push it in any real hard way. And I, there's a bunch of those, of course, but I think there's definitely some call outs we should, we should make here. One of the ones that I wanted to talk about is a uh, sign in blood. Cause I think that has some potential in some shadow decks. I think uh, Stan does as well. It's just a pretty efficient card advantage card in black. I'm sure I'm going to see a cast. I'm not like looking forward to crafting four of these day one. I think it's just a, it's a card. What is it? Black, black. Draw Target player two, draws to you and take and lose two. two life. Yeah. Yeah. I think two. it's fine. I'm, I'm kind just, of a pass on this card for what it's worth. Yeah. But. I mean, I think it's, I think it's adequate. I think it's going to be a C to D card. One of the things though, I want to talk about maybe we should save this for next week and it's abundant harvest. Do you think uh, let's just let's save abundant harvest for withstand Dave? Okay, because because I think we got a bunch of Dave cards up here, and let's talk about them. Yeah, I mean the couple of cards that I would highlight here, of course, the first couple are electrolyzed and lightning helix. You know, yeah. I think that these are two cards that open potential. You know, they're they're efficient removal with fringe benefits. And they can go to the dome, they can kill the creature, they draw cards, they can gain life. I think these open up a lot of different things. You know, Electrolyze can be great to open up kind of Jeskai control or is it control kind of options, especially with the cantrip ability. It's great against decks like Elves, you know, where you get a chance to kill a couple of one drops, basically. And Lightning Helix is just a nice piece of versatile removal that helps you kind of last a little bit longer so it can be good against burn it can be good in burn mirror matches i mean i think both of these cards are cards that are worthwhile but don't really have clear homes right now yeah that's the thing is like i don't think lightning helix makes like a burn deck more of a thing like no one's casting like lightning strike right now and of course you get life link life gain off of lightning helix but you know what i mean it's like lightning strike is not even sniffed at being played really however if Wizards Lightning becomes good, then suddenly Lightning Helix could become good to help continue to build out that Swede. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, we might get there. Yep. Okay, so two good versatile burn cards. Next on the list, we recently did an episode about this card. It is Ephemerate. Yeah. I mean, I know uh, someone named Everett Mohan is excited about that, a.k.a. Aspiring Spike. People are definitely going to be testing Blink decks. Like this is this will be a thing. I don't know if they're gonna be good, but it's definitely gonna be something that people are experimenting with and messing with. I mean, if you look at the cards that are available for comes into comes into play effects, you know, that Yorian deck that we were just talking about in historic from the 
the PT, you know, a deck that wanted to run four Yorians, it's because there is there are things to blink with it. And so I think that having it on a sorcery is sometimes better and more resilient than having it on a creature. Maybe it's some kind of combination of the two, but you do have sky Cave apparition in this format, you know, blinking a Sharn isn't the worst thing ever to get an extra land blinking a night of autumn to like kill multiple, you know, cast disenchant multiple times or gain life can be good. So there are plenty of targets for this in historic. Yeah, it's a thing. It's, it's a good card. It'll be good. It'll be something fun. Uh, I don't know if it's like, you know, top tier, but it'll be fun. That's what yep. matters. Yep. Okay. Next card on the list. Well, we're winding down to the end here. Yeah. And this is an old favorite of mine from way, way back. Memory Lapse. Yeah, people are hyped about this card have, more than me. Have you ever played this card? <laughs> yeah. So this is this is a card that is sort of like Remand, realistically, in a lot of ways, where you... but. In a way, it's even more powerful because it takes away one of your opponent's draws instead of giving you a draw. And so memory lapses, counter target spell, put it on top of your opponent's library so they have to redraw it next turn. I am super excited to play this card in Mono Blue Tempo. Honestly, like it's oh, yeah. a perfect card for that kind of deck where what you really want is time and being able to answer any spell at the right moment with this card buy an extra turn get an extra attack in make them draw a card that they probably don't want to redraw again it's part of the reason aether gust is so good i mean i relapse that's what it does well i used to love to play this in a deck full of flying men and unstable mutations <laughs> back in the day bunch of one drops and a uh, bunch of one drops and two two mana counter spells sounds familiar yeah, sounds familiar for sure i think there's some people i know who think this is like more of a b or even an a tier card i guess i sort of i always have issues with like these cards that aren't hard counters like you know what i mean like i i'm forever asking how do you how do you use remand when do you use Remand? why when and why like what's up with aether gust like these cards don't seem that good but of course they're like much better than i give them credit for or that i understand them to be so yeah memory lapse is probably pretty good it's probably going to be like a beer b tier card you're going to see it and probably be annoyed by it i know i will yep all right last couple of cards here Manatithe, I think, is a really cool card. I don't know if anybody really needs Force Spike, but I think it's it's a card that people love having access to, and I think it's very low risk to have in the format. So glad it's yeah. here. So yeah, it's definitely low risk because I don't think it's very good. Yeah, I mean, it's like a weird specialist card. You don't see it in modern very often, but sometimes you see people make good use of it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know the pain of playing around like a sensor here and there, but like Manatithe doesn't cycle. So like just sort of becomes useless while sensor never becomes truly useless. But right. I think that there, like you said, there's application. You're going to see a mana tithe cast against you a few times and be kind of annoyed. Yep, absolutely. Stone rain. Stone what do you rain. Think? What do you think about stone rain? I think people want to cast it. I don't know. I mean, there's a reason they don't print three CMC land destruction anymore in yeah. at, or very often in standard sets, I should say. And I think it's one of those things where I'm like, it's a classic spell. I'm glad it's available in a format that's called historic. I'm not sure that it makes like Ponza suddenly amazing, but I think to be continued, we'll have to give Stan a chance to talk about this next week. Once we all can think about these cards a little bit more than we have so far. Right on. I mean, 
that's kind of like the majority of my my seeds here. Like I said, I want to save Abundant Harvest for next week. I think it's an interesting card that deserves more time than we really have. My D tier is kind of everything else, like stuff I don't think is going to see play in any real way. I could be wrong about like Crux of Fate. No, you're like, is there definitely a better, not is there wrong. A better, is there a better five mana Black Sweeper? I mean, there's a better Black Sweeper. It's called Extinction Event. I mean, but that's there's always problems with the Extinction Event. I mean, there's there's a lot of annoyance there. Yep. There's I mean, a lot like, of not annoyance too, though, because of exile yeah. and the fact that it's four CMC. So uh, yeah. I mean, the the D tier is like stuff that's already outclassed in this format. Like Day of Judgment is is a worse Wrath of God, and people are not maxing out on their Wrath of God right now. It's either that, or it's too expensive, or it's too just useless. I guess. Like next week, I think we can have a better breakdown on like the economics and then like how this impacts the format and like what Watsi is doing with historic generally definitely good to have Stan and perhaps the special guests take on those things. Dave, anything else before we wind the show down? I think that's it. I mean, I think that we all really believe that these cards are going to have a big impact on historic. And so like we've been telling people or like Shane intimated earlier, don't run out and build any of the pro tour decks. Cause we, I think we we literally do not know what historic is going to look like after these cards show up. And in particular, yep. some of them could make really big changes. Right on. All right. That wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. You get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. Maybe get that auto download thing going on. You don't have to think about it. And if you use Apple podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. We love to see that. If you want to submit us a question, you want to, Ask us something about modern, pioneer, historic. You can tweet at us at the dive down, all one word. You can email us the dive down at gmail.com. If you want to support us, help us keep doing what we're doing, you can join the Patreon. Join at any tier gets you access to the super secret Slack server where the citizens of the nation are constantly interacting. Patreon.com slash the dive down. Again, shout out to Mana Traders sponsoring us. Sign up. For mana traders using promo code the dive down, all one word, 15% off your first three months of raining magic online cards. Untapped.thedivedown.com. You can download the Untapped Arena tracking software. Do it. It's easy. It's free. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere in Space Blood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and rate some cards.